0: Yeah, as Pastor Pete said, it's been fantastic working through this series uh, on practices and uh, it's great to hear feedback from life groups on the discussions that are going on uh, during the week and people being challenged and uh, to come back to this place of spiritual formation uh, through the practices. So there's seven practices, and we have got them on the slide here for you, which you'll get, be getting familiar with now. And uh, it's great to hear that Simplicity uh, challenged people last week as we spoke about it. People have told me about cleaning out papers in their offices and decluttering their house. I've got a whole nature strip uh, full of hard rubbish that's going to go this week. Um, so I'm hoping to help Zoe uh, declutter her, cl- uh, her closet this week as well, if she'll let me. So, uh, it's, but it's a challenge to actually set aside things that clutter our life, isn't it? possessions, uh, money, busyness, all these kind of things that clutter us and essentially poison the spiritual life. And the idea of the practices is that they put us in a position where we reject and rebel against the ways of the world and actually prioritize and allow Christ to be at the center of our existence. And this morning, we're going to look at number six there, living in community. So living in community is the practice that you are doing Right now. So turn to the person next to you, give them a high five, say, well done. You are practicing, spiritually practicing, following Jesus right now, living uh, in community. So living in community is coming to church, living in community is being part of a life group, living in community is serving on a team, living in community is having a coffee or a beer with a brother or a sister in Christ talking about Jesus, it's having a mentor, it's coming and seeing a pastor and sitting down and having a counselling session because you want to grow in your faith. All of these things, having friends in the church, it's meeting a young girl, a guy in the church and marrying and having babies and putting them in kids' church, All of those things are the kind of things we do to live in community. It's not living in community as in, I know people at the local sports club or I hang out with people at the school or I have some friends, it's different. When we say living in community, we mean living in Christian community, it's actually about living with people for the sake of journeying, it's in the description there, journeying together on life's journey and for mutual discipleship. So it's different to social friendships or family that you have, it's actually people that you walk with that help you follow Jesus more and you help them follow Jesus more. A great example of this was in the Breaking 2 documentary, which was a documentary done by Nike. Uh, with three African runners. I've got a little picture here for you. And this is Kip Choe in the uh, white singlet there. And the aim was by Nike to get together the best distance runners in the world to run together to break the two-hour mark of running the marathon. Now, the marathon world record at the time when they attempted this in 2017 was two hours, two minutes, and 57 seconds. So they had to knock off two minutes, 57 seconds, almost three minutes, off a marathon in order to break the two-hour mark. And in 2017, three runners, including Kip Choe there, who's probably the greatest distance runner of all time, I think he currently holds the world record, attempted this and they failed. They actually ran two hours and 25 seconds, 25 seconds off, breaking it. But it was the fastest marathon ever run by a human being. Now, it didn't count... It didn't count because it wasn't run under proper competition rules all the runners were running together as a team but it fits really well as an example for our living in community today because all the runners ran together as a team they actually had a car that paced out their running so that they could run at the rate they needed to break two hours but they failed they came back in let me get this right on the 12th of october 2019 this time It was just Kip who was going to break the record. They had over 40 of the greatest distance athletes on the face of the earth come together as his team, and different runners out of the 40 would run with him for a few kilometers over the leg of the journey. Now, a marathon's 42 kilometers, so 40 different runners would run a few kilometers with him to set the pace, and he broke the two-hour marathon record. They said it wasn't possible for a human being to run less than two hours over 42 kilometers. He ran one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. Phenomenal. Similarly, similarly, living in community is about finding running partners. Look to that person you just high-fived a minute ago. It might be a different kind of race. All of you are probably feeling tired now. That I just spoke about a marathon. So this is a different kind of race. But you need partners for life's journey. For mutual discipleship. To push you in your spiritual life. Kipchoge couldn't run under two hours on his own. No athlete, no human being's ever done it. But he was able to do it with other runners setting the pace for him and running alongside of him. He was able to find something physically deep within him that allowed him to run at a pace He'd never been able to run on at his own. You have struggles. You want to grow in your life. You want to get closer to Jesus. Living in Christian community is the answer. It is the only way possible to fall in love with Jesus Christ more, to become more like Him and to do as Jesus did. You must do it within community. There's a huge, big, fat lie going on that you can do church alone that you can do Christianity at home, that you can just have this individualistic kind of approach to Jesus, just me and Jesus. Nothing in the Bible says it's just me and Jesus. Everything in the Bible says it's Jesus and it's you and it's your brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that true? The Finkenwald Seminary was a seminary run by Dietrich Bonhoeffer before the Second World War. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. He was captured, imprisoned and then hung in a Nazi prison camp only three weeks before the liberation. He was 39 years of age, he never married, he never had children but he died for his faith in Jesus Christ, that's why he was hung because he was unwilling to support the Nazi regime. In 1935 to 1937, he ran the Finkenwald Seminary, and these are some of the young men that were there. Can anyone pick out Bonhoeffer in the group? He was only 29 years of age, and he was the director of this seminary. Now, he had pulled away these young men to train them to be pastors because Germany needed a different kind of pastor. Most of the German church had actually come under the Nationalist Socialist Party and were following Hitler looking to a new Germany. Most of the church. And he had broken away with a small group called the Confessing Church and they had started this seminary, which was actually an illegal seminary, which was eventually, in 1937, shut down by the Gestapo. Out of this time, these two years living together 24-7, in a little house, in an illegal seminary that the Gestapo were looking for, they had a phenomenal time of living in community and Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote the very famous book called Life Together, which is probably the best book ever written on what it means to live in Christian community. And something that, to to sum it all up, is this uh, quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer out of the book, have we got it there, any justification that is not mediated through sociality, does not genuinely come from outside ourselves and thus degenerates into self-justification. I know there's a lot of big fancy words in there and it's a bit of old English, uh, 100 year ago English, when Dietrich Bonhoeffer was alive, but let me explain it for you. Justification is the fact that you and I are sinners and we can only be made right by Jesus. What Bonhoeffer noticed for two, after two years of living with these young men in Christian community is that to be truly, fully healed and justified by Jesus Christ was only possible in community. That's what he means by soci- sociality. So to have human beings next to you, talking to you, eating together... Drinking together, praying together, discussing sports together, discussing theology together. Without this community, to become whole, to become healed, to become fully justified in Christ is impossible. All that happens is that humans degenerate into a position of self-justification. Now, we've all experienced that, haven't we? Self-protection, excuses. It's hard for me you don't understand what it's like for me. My life is different. My upbringing was difficult. We all have this brokenness that needs healing, and we can either use that to reach out to God. I need to be justified by you, God. Heal my heart. And God will say, yes, I'm going to heal your heart. Here's a small group. Yes, I'm going to work on your life. Here's a church. Go and serve in that church. That's how God answers us. You need to be healed, yep Jesus died on the cross for you but go get a mentor, go have a pastoral care appointment, go sit down with someone and talk through your faith. Without community though all we have is self-justification, self-protection, excuses and all these walls that we put up and all these things that block us from God. You know in the beginning this was the problem, In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had this perfect relationship with God. You see, God in Himself is a community, isn't He? How many does God? Three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The perfect, loving community. God doesn't say, you get in community and then I am just God, singular, independent, alone. No, God is three. So God doesn't say we need to be in community. God actually invites us into his, His community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you. So he invites Adam and Eve into community with him. And Adam and Eve live in this perfect garden. They walk with God in the cool of the day. They have open relationship. They hear his voice. There's no sin. There's no brokenness. There's no fracture. But then we know the story, don't we? Genesis 3, 6 to 13. The woman saw the fruit, it looked good, it was pleasing to the eye and also also desirable for gaining wisdom. And so she eats of the fruit and disobeys God. Let's jump down to verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from God among the trees of the garden. All of a sudden, man is hiding from God. Something's fractured, something's broken in their community now. But the Lord called to them, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord looks to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the servant, the serpent here me and I ate it. All of a sudden, community is fractured. Man's hiding from God, realizing his nakedness and his vulnerability. The man is asked by God, what have you done? The woman, the woman's asked, what have you done? The, The serpent. Everyone's pointing the finger. Community's fractured, community is broken, man is separated from God, Um, husband and wife, Adam and Eve are separated from each other, sin enters the world and we begin down this trajectory of the human race now being broken and fractured, to relate human to human, person to person is not easy now, sin separates, selfishness has entered in pointing the finger, judging others, self-protecting, hiding behind fig leaves is now something that is normal to us as human beings. And then by Genesis chapter 4, we don't just have ping, finger pointing, the next generation we have the story of Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain murders his brother Abel. Goes from finger pointing to real murder and the human race continues to generate, degenerate. Sorry. You see, community that's centred on sin, on self, on us, on individualism, is always going to end in hurt and hate. Has anyone been, I'm sorry this is getting a bit close here this morning, close to the heart, maybe this has never happened to you before, have you ever been hurt by another human being? Has anyone ever disappointed you? Has anyone ever done something where you felt betrayed, felt let down, you felt ripped off? That's usually our experience of community, isn't it? Yeah, Pastor Kay, preach it, let's all get in life groups and get mentors and talk to each other and love each other and come to church and serve. And, and in the back of your head, all you're thinking is, I'm just going to get hurt. I'm just going to get super frustrated. People are just going to let me down time and time again. I'm going to have to protect myself from letting that hurt go into bitterness and that disappointment and in hate. And then, oh, it's all too hard. And that's exactly right. It is way too hard. It actually doesn't work. We tend to screw it up all the time. We tend to end up in divorce. We tend to end up in hurt. We tend to end up in broken friendships. We tend to end up hurting people that we love often people we love we intend to hurt the most, we try to love our kids and raise them the best and they end up not liking us and we end up doing things to them that probably aren't great and then they blame us one day when they're 25 for their horrible childhood where you thought you gave them a pretty good childhood. It's difficult, human relationships are difficult, actually they're impossible. We needed a saviour, a rescuer, God to come and heal what was fractured in the beginning. You see, Jesus comes And He creates a community not centred on self, but centred on Him, centred on perfection, centred on Christ. And the Christian community is no longer a place of hurt and hate. Relationships are no longer a place where you need to protect yourself, you need to expect things to go wrong, because Jesus creates a community centred on Him, where there's now healing and holiness. Where there was hurt, you can be healed where there's hate, you can become holy, you can be discipled through community, you can be renewed through community. The spiritual practice of living in community shapes disciples of Jesus through healing and holiness. Now, I'm going to let you in a big secret today. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. If you've been hurt by people, the only place to really be healed is through people. This is the brilliance of the church. Jesus puts himself at the center of the Christian community, but Jesus will not do all the healing. He's not just going to sovereignly come into your life and it's just you and Jesus and you're totally healed. He's going to do a big chunk, but he's mainly going to use his spirit to coordinate and strategize that other human beings will be the source of your healing. Because if you've been hurt by people, you can be healed by people. And this is the power of the Christian community. The people that God will use to heal you, the people that God will use to mature you in your faith, the people that God will use to make you a better Christian, to make you a better mom and a better dad and a better worker, to help you in your life, they're not going to be perfect people. But Jesus is perfect and He will use the imperfection of people through Christian community to heal your heart, to renew your soul and to make you whole again. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? Let me explain this to you through the eyes of Jesus Christ, because he pulled together the first Christian community that we ever saw. It's captured in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels of the Bible. Jesus pulled together this community, and I'm going to show you that Jesus didn't pull together great people. In order to do this whole healing and holiness thing. Jesus didn't pull together the best of the best in Jerusalem at the time to show that the church is going to be magnificent, we're going to get this captain of industry and this incredibly famous Instagram star, I'm going to get this amazing elite athlete and we're going to put them together like the the A-team so that they can show the world how powerful Jesus is in the kingdom of God is. No, he didn't. He pulled together a whole bunch of ragtag guys from a place called Galilee. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed Him. Going on from there, He saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, Jesus called to them, and immediately they left their boat, and their father followed him. you got four fishermen, four good Jewish boys, four guys who follow the Torah, who believe in God, who want to live a good Jewish life, and this rabbi, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, this rabbi Jesus essentially said, come follow me, which means, come be my disciple my apprentice, come and follow me and I'll make you a rabbi, I'll make you not only an expert in the law but an expert teacher of the law. So these simple fishermen, no fishermen had ever been called to follow a rabbi before, no fisherman had ever been chosen to know the Torah or teach the Torah but Jesus gets these smelly, you imagine this small group of 12 disciples just constantly smelling like fish like even after three and a half years, Jesus is dying on the cross and still fish is just wafting in the air because it's in their hair, it's in their skin, it's under their nails. And not only that, not only are they fishermen, but they're two sets of brothers. So you put them in the group with the 12 and like they're all, Peter always covers for Andrew and Andrew always covers for Peter, it's never fair. And then John and James, Jesus calls them the sons of thunder, I mean they're loud, they're bombastic, they're, they're a bit full on, they're intense, they're sons of thunder. I don't know if that was a, an affectionate name that Jesus gave to them or if that was a little bit of a dig in the ribs, a bit of a criticism but these guys, John and James, are always getting into trouble always pushing the boundaries, always taking two things, things too far. One time they want to sit on Jesus left and right, this other time they want to call down fire from heaven and burn people, they're always full on, they're troublemakers, they're a challenge. Matthew 9 verse 9, let's go on, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up but these kind of guys, sinners. Now, Matthew is not a good Jewish boy. Matthew is the opposite of the two sets of brothers. Matthew has essentially turned his back on his people and on his country. He works for the Roman Empire and he collects taxes from his own people. He doesn't collect tax- taxes with justice and mercy, he collects the taxes by taking advantage of people. By taking more money than he should, by putting money in his own pocket, by creating his own wealth, by stealing off his own Jewish brothers and sisters. The tax collector was the equivalent of the pedophile today. Despised, disgusting, unthinkable, rejected by society, He was the worst of the worst and Jesus went and sat at his table with all the other tax collector buddies because they probably all hung out together because no one wanted to be their friends. But Jesus goes right to that table, he eats with them, he drinks with them, he hangs out with the worst of the worst, those that have betrayed even their own country and their own people. Matthew chapter 10 verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles, first Simon who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the task collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the Iscariot who betrayed him. This is the first church. This is living in community, a ragtag bunch, it smells like fish all the time, you got a tax collector, you imagine the group gets together, right, here's the 12, like, oh, we're the 12, Rabbi Jesus, we are going to follow him, this is awesome, we're going to be together, three and a half years of these guys together. You imagine Matthew comes into the group, early days there, all the other 11 are like, can't believe Jesus chose him. This guy is disgusting. This guy is the worst of the worst. It's like having a pedophile invited to your life group. And then Jesus says, let's live in community together. Let's heal together. Let's worship together. Let's reach out to that community, our local community together. And you're like, with this guy? Yep. With this person? I don't understand. This person is different socioeconomic level to me, different schooling to me, different money to me, different values to me, what? And then you've got the brothers, I already told you about them, you've got them causing trouble, you've got Simon, he's listed first, isn't he? First Simon, who's called Peter, and he's loud and always getting into trouble, but he's the leader, he's the first among all of us. And then you've got Simon the Zealot. The Zealot was a political, revolutionary movement of people who were against the Roman Empire. Often they were called dagger men because they would hide daggers in their cloaks, these these Zealots, and then they would walk up behind Roman soldiers or Roman centurions and they would slit their throats, put their dagger back in their cloak and take off into the crowd. These guys were like guerrilla warfare in Jerusalem and Jesus chooses one of them and says, hey, do you want to join my life group? Do you want to come into my church? Do you think politics came up in this local community of 12 disciples? Do you think they had discussions about the politics of the day? We're arguing about, oh, I don't want to wear a mask. Oh, we should wear a mask. Oh, I don't want to get vaccinated. Oh, we should get vaccinated. They've got a guy in the group who slits throats in his spare time and he's my brother in Christ. This is living in community, isn't it? We have an idea of living in community. Jesus had an idea of living in community. Only Jesus could heal a group like this, could bring this group together as a high-performing spiritual team. And then you got Judas off there in the corner. I mean, what's the deal with Judas? He's like this calculating accountant, who's always in the corner, counting numbers, he looks after the money for the group, but everyone knows he's putting his hand in there, he just buys himself a pair of AirPods here and there, a pair of new shoes here and there, I mean, we're struggling to find a meal to eat, and Judas just does whatever he wants with the money, just spends it, Jesus knows it's going on, but Jesus never corrects him, Jesus never calls him to account, I mean, how is that fair? But this is community, this is the mess of community, isn't it? Have you been in church before, and you're like, I got treated differently to that person. This is the mess of community. What are the rules around here? I mean, the pastors kind of help that person, don't help that person. Sit with that person, don't sit with that person. Yep, that's community. Guess what? It's not fair. The same rules won't apply to everyone all the time. Things happen and and, and you don't get the break that someone else got. It seems like God touches them more than he touches them. It seems like that life group has all this great stuff going on and our life group's are struggling to get off the ground. This person's there every Sunday and that person's never there helping out. Yep, welcome to community. It doesn't matter, Jesus is here. It doesn't matter, we're here together and we want to grow together. This is the spiritual practice of growing in community. It's a challenge, it's not easy, But Christ has called us to help each other heal, to help each other move to holiness and maturity. We spiritually grow as we practice living in community because we choose to remain faithful. Everyone say faithful. Everyone say faithful. We choose to remain faithful despite the mess that is our church family, we participate in moving our community from the reality of today towards a church community that is fully redeemed in Jesus, we believe that community is non-optional for disciples of Jesus. This is the kicker. This is the great challenge that has challenged me now for decades living as a Christian. It's not optional if I want to follow Jesus, it's not optional. Community is not negotiable. Participating in community. not Attending church isn't, isn't community. Sitting there is a bit of it, but it's not the full thing. Participation, engagement, that's what it means to live in community. Did Jesus just teach for three and a half years? No, he didn't. He taught, and then he would send out the 12. He taught, and then he would say, you go and turn The breads and the uh, 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 the fish and the loaves, you multiply it. You do a prayer. You hand it out. Now that I had to multiply it because you couldn't, you hand it out. You feed the five thousand. Jesus is always offering engagement, offering you come with me, you lay hands, I'll give you authority. And then eventually Jesus dies, raised again, ascends to heaven, and then it's on them 100%. You are now the church. You now have responsibility for the mission to disciple all nations, to preach the good news, to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to baptize. You have that responsibility. We have that responsibility still as the church. As we finish this morning, we're going to take communion. I just want to share with you three things about living in community, three things that you can't go without. Now, there's about 30 things you can't go without, but I only had time to pick out three that I thought were pertinent for us at the moment. I hopefully these three things will challenge you. Hopefully these three things you take as always I'm hoping that you take the words that God speaks through Sunday and the sermon and you go and pray about that, meditate about that. I don't preach to entertain. God doesn't want me to preach to entertain. God wants me to give you something that he's saying so that you can then carry that into your life, into your prayer time so that it can challenge you. And I really feel these three things are from the Holy Ghost. The first one That you can't live without in community is really challenging. I'm going to cut straight to the chase, it's really challenging. Confession and forgiveness. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to God. No, 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 it doesn't. Confess your sins to... Yeah, I know you don't want to say it out loud, it's hard, isn't it? (laughs) Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What? Don't we just sit in a quiet room on our own and just me and Jesus and He heals my heart and makes me feel good? No. Where is that practice? Well, that's really the practice of prayer. Yeah, you do some time with God, but then you come out of the prayer closet, thank you, you come out of the prayer closet and you confess, I'm sinning, I'm selfish, I'm struggling, my motives are off, i have had a bad day. I shout at my kids. I struggle at work. I'm not sure if I really believe some stuff anymore. And you confess it to one another and together we heal each other. We help each other move towards holiness. There is nothing in our culture, and I've been talking a lot about our culture the last few weeks, there is nothing in our culture that says, be honest, be transparent, air your dirty laundry. But in the Christian community, Jesus says, you will be healed when you share your worst stuff with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Forgiveness is another great challenge. For if you forgive, it says in Matthew 6:14, this is Jesus talking, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whew. So there's God the forgiver of sins. There's me, the sinner, who needs forgiveness, but I can't be forgiven and redeemed unless someone else is involved. I can't get healed unless I'm forgiving them and allowing them to forgive me, unless I'm repenting and reconciling with other human beings. That's the only way that God will forgive me. Yep. Again, it's not just me and Jesus, the Christian walk. It's me and Jesus and everyone else. (laughs) and even forgiveness, which you need, I need so badly to be set free from the things I've done, to set others free by forgiving them for the things they've done. Richard Foster, I know you're getting a lot of Richard Foster quotes at the moment, but he says, confession is a corporate discipline because sin both offends God and creates wounds in the Christian fellowship. This is why Quote him because he says it way better than me. In the early centuries of the Christian era, forgiveness and reconciliation involved a lengthy process of healing by which the offender was restored to health through the ministry of the total Christian community. In the early Middle Ages, it was turned increasingly into a private sacrament. And following the Reformation, Protestants, which is you and I in this church, began to view it more and more as a matter exclusively between the individual and God. So we've kind of drifted in the wrong direction with confession and forgiveness, we've made it a private matter. But in the beginning, confession was not privatistic and a privatistic event as it is today. In fact, in Matthew 18, Jesus expressed its essential communal nature and explained how forgiveness can come into the community without destroying it. You have to go read Matthew 18, verse 15. It is God who does the forgiving, but often He chooses human beings as the channel for His forgiving grace. Isn't that annoying? It would be so much easier if it was just me and God. Human beings are such that life together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, always involves them in hurting one another, them in hurting one another in in some way. And forgiveness... Is essential in a community of hurt and hurtful persons. You've been hurt, I've been hurt, you will be hurt, I will be hurt, forgiveness and confession is essential for us to continue to heal, to continue to become like Christ individually and to become like Christ together. The second one that I want to put to you this morning, and please take these away, hold your communion as I talk about them because we need Christ in all these three things. The second one that you can't live without is a deep commitment to gospel partnership. In the book of Philemon, which is just 25 verses, if you remember that little book in the New Testament, where Paul writes uh, to Philemon about his slave, Onesimus, who was runaway, his runaway slave. And Paul appeals to this wealthy man, this rich man Philemon, this rich man Philemon is probably the biggest tither in the church. At the time, he was wealthy, he was noble. Paul appeals to him about his slave. A nothing, a nobody, a runaway slave. What was a runaway slave deserved of? Death. You could kill your slave if he ran away. Paul writes this letter and appeals to this Christian brother, Philemon, saying, don't just take back your slave and not murder him. (laughs) Don't just take him back and say, okay, I will not murder you, you can keep being a slave. He says, take him back as a brother in Christ. You go read the 25 verses of Philemon, it's powerful. And he talks about this Greek word called koinonia, which is where our English word, probably the best one, is fellowship. But that's a little bit of an old-fashioned word if you're a general Zer, there's a few over there, you're probably like, well, fellowship is so weird. Basically, it's being deep friends and not just being socially connected acquaintances, but actually having a deep friendship. And Paul appeals to Philemon and says, take a step of maturity don't just not murder your slave don't just just welcome him back take him as a brother in Christ Can you imagine that a nobleman rich wealthy biggest tither in the church a slave deserving death be brothers in Christ koinonia fellowship together and partner in the gospel that's the purpose of the letter of Philemon go over read of it in our church we call this connect grow reach this is our koinonia It's that everyone would have a healthy relationship with Jesus, you'd be connected to Him first. Secondly, that that maturity in your relationship with Jesus would grow into or move into growing together, that it would be about others. And that thirdly, together we would produce this desire to go out and reach the community, reach the unchurched, reach beyond the four walls of the church. Community without reach becomes stagnant, becomes inward-focused, becomes about us, becomes about our little groups, becomes about how we worship, how we do things, we're the best church. That third part of our vision there and our mission there keeps us fresh, keeps us focused, keeps us selfless, keeps us looking at, no, the connection with Jesus is going to end in people coming to Jesus. Jesus. No, living in community isn't going to stop with us having good Christian friends here at my local church. It actually stops with the people out there that don't know know Jesus, that do need Jesus coming and meeting Him and being included, being invited, being able to be involved in the Christian community as well. You see, living in community without a deep commitment to gospel partnership just results in a stagnating, inward-focused insipid type, type of group of people. And thirdly, you're going to love this one, eating and drinking, hospitality. Community without food and drink is boring, let's be honest. Community without good food, without lots of food, without good drink, without lots of talking and laughing and relationship is boring. But there's not a lot of room in our lives for fun anymore. There's not a lot of room in our lives for deep friendships, having people over for dinner. I still remember when I was a kid that sometimes people would knock on your front door and come in for a cup of tea, unannounced, on like a Saturday afternoon. Does anyone remember those days? Now it's like, got a text message 10 days out, would you mind at one o'clock in three Saturdays if we came over for a 25-minute cup of tea? And then, if you rock up at someone's door on an hour, it's like, oh, oh, hello, oh, hello, hi, yeah, oh, hi. And it's like your uncle or your auntie or your brother or something. Like, oh, 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 my goodness, I didn't realize. Oh, uh, the house is dirty. Oh, uh. We're just, <coughs> we're all awkward now with community. We can't just sit and have a drink. We don't have time to say, yeah, come in for dinner, that's fine, I'll just cook some extra stuff and put the kids to bed late and we will just, you know, because community and people and eating and hanging out and friendship is more important than my bedtime schedule. It's hard for us now. Yet right at the heart of Christian community is hang out, is pull out a good bottle of wine, is have some friends over for dinner. Have a stranger over for dinner. I mean, when's the last time you had someone you don't even know that well come and sit at your table and just get to know someone? you got strangers in the church here and you won't even invite them over for dinner and you've been coming to church with them for 12 years, but you don't know their story. You don't know who they are. You know what they're up to. But all you have to say is, hey, after church, I'll grab some rolls and a chicken and just come over for lunch and we'll make a sandwich and sit there for an hour and have a chat. You can't live without food and drink and now I'm going to spiritualize this for you so no one can dismiss what I'm saying. Food, drink. The original hospitality was Thursday night, the Lord's Supper, the day before He went to the cross, where Jesus ate with His disciples. He broke bread, they drank wine, Yes, it was probably alcoholic wine, I'm sorry if that offends you, but they drank wine and I drink wine also. And then Jesus got down on his knees and he washed their feet, the greatest act of servanthood in all of human history, the Son of God washed the feet of fishermen, tax collectors, his community. He served them, he loved them and he was God. And then the next day he went to the cross for them. But right at the center of that phenomenal act was food and was drink. And Jesus took the bread and he said, This is bread and we're having a great time together, but it's kind of like my body, which I've broken for you. And he said, This is drink and it's a great, it's a great glass of Shiraz. I love this. It's great hanging out with you guys. But this is also like my blood. So when you eat food and you drink, drink, and you hang out in Christian community, there I am in the midst of you. That's where deep relationships are formed. That's where people are healed. That's where people who don't have a family find family. People who don't have a home find a home. It's around my body. It's around my blood. Let's all stand together and pray around this this morning. Just play for us. That'd be great. Just close your eyes this morning. I want you to hold the bread I want you to hold the drink I'm just going to read this scripture over you this morning just as you're there I just want you to focus on Jesus Pentecost Sunday just let the Spirit of God just fill your heart love must be sincere Romans 12 verse 9 hate what is evil cling to what is good Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. I want you to visualise this. See it as a picture in your mind as I talk about it. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. If I re-say that in modern words, it means... Let your passion be God before everything else. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Lord God, you are challenging us to the core about our practice, about our conduct. What habits are we practising? What things are we spending our time on, our money on, our thoughts on? Lord God, you've given us seven core practices aside from many other practices like hospitality. Lord God, and we come to you this morning simply holding food and drink. We hold hospitality in our hands through communion. We hold Christian relationship and living in community in our hands right now. It's called communion the sacrament of your body and your blood. These aren't just a symbol, Lord God. Lord, let us not just let them be a symbol, Lord God, but to be so much more. Let them become real to us, real relationship with you, real relationship with one another. Forgive us, Lord God, where we have not loved each other, where we have not honoured each other above ourselves. where we've lacked in zeal for your kingdom and we let other things, other practices come first, where we haven't been joyful in hope, we've not been patient, where we aren't faithful in prayer, Lord, we often fall so short. But we thank you for your body, your blood that cleanses us this morning. Just as you're holding this and you're meditating, you look. just look at Jesus, look him in the eyes. Just really drawn back to that point about confession and forgiveness. If you need to forgive today, I want you to forgive in your heart. That's what I feel God is saying. If you need forgiveness today, so often we focus on the on the one needing to be forgive, needing forgiveness, the victim. But so often we're actually the perpetrator, and we too need forgiveness. We too are selfish. Like Adam, we point the finger. Like Eve, we blame the devil. Like Cain and Abel, we kill. We kill with our words. We kill, but when we withhold our affections, we kill when we operate out of our frustration, our tiredness, our fatigue. Lord, we need to be forgiven. And Lord, we need to forgive others. You just pray a prayer in your heart. You just get your heart right with God get your heart right with other people Jesus said love the Lord your God with all your heart the greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbour as yourself even in the greatest commandment we can't get away from others to love God is to love others and to love others is the same as loving God the two are joined at the hip you can't have God without others and you can't have others without God Lord, we thank you that you've called us into community. We thank you that we have brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we've got family. Yes, we've got friends. Yes, we've got workmates. But what we need to follow you, Jesus, to be with you, to become like you, to do what you did, is we need Christian brothers and sisters that can run the marathon that is this spiritual journey, that can run beside us and push us to greater heights in our spiritual lives. Lord, we know our brothers and sisters might be smelly fishermen. They might be suspect tax collectors. They might even be Judas in the future that might turn their backs on us and hurt us, Lord God. But for whatever reason, these are the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have right now. And through communion today, we choose to open up our heart to them like we never have before. To step towards the maturity of letting people into our lives afresh where we've shut off our hearts even during COVID and lockdowns, we've got we've enjoyed our own company, we've enjoyed our own excuses and self-justification where we open up our hearts again to community to serving our brothers and sisters to being in groups small groups together, to worshipping corporately on a Sunday you just take your communion when you're ready it's just between you and God your prayers to your heart, to your life.